Hey, China Talk. Uh, you know, so we're recording this on Friday, October 20th, um, which is now almost two weeks after um, uh, the October 7th attacks. I spent the past week in Washington, D.C. and, um, you know, having lived through like one of the most horrific weeks of my life, it was sort of surreal um, because a lot of my community in New York City is are, are Jews, um, and I spent a lot of time that week with my family, that to sort of be around people for whom they did not just have like their earth completely shattered um, made me even more want to just just interrogate and, you know, share with 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 all of you sort of the um, the, you know, mix of emotions and feelings that my, um, you know, that me personally, as well as like my broader, uh, you know, Jewish American Jewish community is is kind of going through right now. So um, to do that, um, uh, I have, oh my God, a two-time guest now on the podcast, uh, uh, Zohar Atkins. Uh, he, he's a he's an ordained rabbi. He founded a company called Lightning, which is providing, as he says it, inspiration as a service. He also has a wonderful podcast called Meditations um, with, with Zohar, which I imagine this might be cross-posted on, um, as well as um, Ari Lamb, the one person our, uh, Zohar was most excited to chat, to, chat with today. Um, uh, Dr. Ari Lamb uh, runs Soul Shop Studios, which is like uh, has a really cool slate of um, uh, uh, content all around, sort of like religion and the um, aimed at a, a new audience for this uh, this type of stuff. So, anyways, um, whew, where should we begin? Zohar, where do you where do you want to start? This is how I would start, if if I may. Like the Psalm says, "Lule Toratcha Shashua Azavadati." Be'ani. Were it not, were it not for your Torah, were it not for your delightful Torah, I would perish in my affliction. What, what is my affliction? My affliction is college students protesting Israel. Wokeness. Um, I, I look at radical students who have a knee-jerk response to a, a brutal massacre of the Jewish community, Quad Jews, and I think how sad how profoundly sad and broken, but also that were it not for my religious attachment to Judaism and my love of the Jewish people, there but for the grace go I. Like, I'm an American Jew, and if I didn't have some weird contrarian attachment to my Judaism, like, I might be amongst those student protesters waving a Palestinian flag because I bought some knee-jerk view that Israel is the oppressor and Palestinians are inherently the good guys and Glory to the murderers, it's resistance, blah, blah, blah. And what I'm trying to unpack in my personal response there is the sense of profound Jewish pride in this moment and Jewish identity um, and solidarity with the Jewish community and love of Israel, which is not necessarily how I walk around in the world day to day. Like day to day, I think of myself as like, yes, I'm, I love being Jewish and I'm deeply connected, but as a very universalistic kind of person who's trying to learn from everyone and interact with everyone. And like when Jews are attacked, I feel like, wow, it really does trigger that Judeo pessimism clear of like, they're all against us no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter whether we're capitalists, communists, like whether we like live in the shuttle or whether we're like successful and uh, pursuing Nobel prizes or whether we're like religious, you know, religiously accused of killing Jesus or the Talmud is accused of being this or that. Like in every generation, behold, door of a door, they stand against us. 
And how do I reconcile myself to that, which is a truth that I believe in deeply, but also not something that I want my identity to revolve around. I don't want to define myself negatively. Um, like Sartre says that the Jew is a function of the anti-Semite. I don't want my Judaism to reduce to that. And that's where I go back to my opening line from Psalms of the Torah being my delight and my Jewish religion being my delight. And in some sense, protecting me from reducing my Judaism to politics. But I want to just emphasize that I come to this particular moment largely as a religious Jew um, who's thankful <laughs> that my religion is not first and foremost statist, but first and foremost Torah focused. And then practically I'm a statist because to me this moment reveals that um, were not for the state of Israel, we'd be massacred in every single city in the world. Political Zionism is the force in in Jewish, you know, geopolitical life nowadays that says, notwithstanding what should be, it is very important to in some way envision a uh, a peaceful Middle East that includes a state for Palestinians living alongside Jews, ultimately one, you know, hopefully one day envisioning mutual flourishing and and growth together. You know, Palestine could be Dubai, right? Like, I, I, I still believe that somehow. I, it seems farther away than ever, but I still do believe that. We, we Jews what what does very, that mean? I think that, well, look, I remember uh, this was like a year or two ago. I was in Israel uh, and I was in... Um, and I was in and I was visiting Rahat, so it's a city with a very large Bedouin population. Uh, and I was speaking to a young uh, Bedouin kid, super impressive dude, and he was like, "My dream uh, since I was a little kid was to be the mayor of Rahat." And he's now, I think, like eighteen or nineteen, at least when I met him, and he was like already the deputy mayor. Like he's like a cool dude. Um, and one of the things he said to me was, "He's like our." Like our, you know, he's like my grandparents were so invested in hating Jews and hating Israel, and he's like, I'm not saying they were wrong to do those things. I would say they were wrong to do those things, but he wouldn't, right? I'm not saying they were wrong, but what I am saying is that, and this was what he said to me. Um, he's like, I look at the Emiratis; they're just Bedouin, um, and they decided to build a techno paradise, and. It's not only flourishing economically, it's also flourishing religiously. And he's like, why can't we just build that here? He's like, will we, will we, will we be unsatisfied because we can't wreak revenge on the Jews who've made our lives miserable or whatever it is? Maybe, but think about the, like Tyler Cowen, whom I think you guys both know, uh, likes to say that we should have a low, maybe zero discount rate with respect to future generations. And it seems to me that uh, if if that's what we do, then future, like the next thousand generations of Jews and Palestinians would really benefit from Palestine becoming Dubai, even if it meant that this generation of Jews couldn't be uh, um, raped and murdered for the Nakba. Jordan, what, I want to hear your voice a little bit. 
Oh man, I don't I don't know. Um who wants to step into this minefield? Are you kidding me? This is <laughs> crazy. Uh, um why would anyone want to jump into this? <laughs> I'm talking to the person who like whose attitude towards the news this past week is just like get this the heck out of my feed, right? Like I don't care about either of these people, right? Which I think is a lot of people, right? Maybe less in America, but it's definitely a lot of people. Like if your attitude towards this is like listen man, I just don't I just don't I don't know enough to be a part of this. I don't care enough to be very passionate about it. I'm like, okay, just as an objective fact, take Israel's existence okay. and what it's done, given its handicap, both objectively and given its handicap. Would you not want to like roll the dice for another 20 years? Just roll the dice. Like uh, maybe maybe say just because we want to take a small tiny bet on the upside of humanity, just roll the dice. That's my therefore. Okay. Um, I want to come back to the just like people wanting to kill Jews thing. Um, like, thank you. What what is the? I don't know. You know, you 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 get a uh a, a, I guess neither of you guys have like congregations in a traditional sense, but like you have a fourteen year old walk in like crying to you. Like, what do you what do you yeah. tell them about that? Why do people want to kill us? Yeah. Um. People, like, look at the story of Joseph in the Bible. He was a person who was singled out, um, which drove his brothers to envy. And the Jews' um, self-perception is one of being elected by God. And to all the things Ari was saying, which are, like, our amazing contributions, um, we've proven that we've been chosen. Um, whether you want to give a theological account, whether you want to give some other more secularized account, um, we've disproportionately positively contributed to humanity. But surprise, surprise, not everybody loves that fact. Um, many people are jealous um, precisely for that reason, because what does it say about them? Uh, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm rejected in some way. I'm deficient in some way. Um, if you could tell a story of sort of determinism, uh, then we're just a function of our environments or our genes, but Jews are outliers. And so that makes people wonder, I wonder if I have the agency to be as good as the Jews. Oh, wh why, why hasn't my people lasted? Do I even have a people? Whatever it is. Um, and I think Jews are category defying. And that's why you see in both left-wing and right-wing circles, anti-Semitism. And I think that's this being category defying is a second point to the envy point, which is people like um, to have a pre-made worldview that they superimpose onto anything that happens. Um, very few people actually want to update their priors in light of the evidence. And I think that because Jews are just super complicated, um, we trigger everybody. So that's my broadest account. And then my um, my more like precise account would be that um, Christian theologically based anti-Semitism became secularized in 1492 when Jews for the first time converted to Christianity rather than accept death. Um, and instead of accepting uh, our conversion as a, as a W, um, Christians said, oh, wow, they're still Jewish, even though they converted, um, branded us as fake Christians and racialized us. And to me, that proves that no matter what we do, we're hated. Um, it was first we were hated for killing Christian God, and then we were hated for our Jewish race and people find a way to hate us. Um, 
And if you're Jewish, then you should basically be practical about it, which is my political Zionism point. But theologically, you should not define yourself by it. You should just embrace that, that anti-Semitism is the cost of being special and you're special. Um, all right. I don't want you to respond like right away. I want you to just give your own answer to the, the initial prompt. It's a really powerful question, and I love it um, because what's been interesting to me this, these past two weeks, interesting but not surprising, is that my kids who... You know, my oldest is 12, and then I have, you know, and then I have four other younger ones. Um, other than the, the two younger ones who are too little, they're not asking me questions like, why are people trying to kill us? They know what's going on. They're, they're, they know just like everybody else, but they're actually not asking why is someone trying to kill us. And the reason is because they've all read the book of Exodus, and they've all read about Pharaoh, and they've all read about you know, Israelite enslavement in Egypt, and they have learned accordingly that this is like the most boring remake of a remake of a remake. And they already saw the first season and it was great, but they haven't like, they haven't really kept up with like season 10 of Friends. So, um, unbelievable. So they're actually not curious like That's it's really not a question that they have so maybe yeah. maybe maybe it's more in my like more secular universe um particularly of folks who, who grew up in i mean probably not even europe but basically america where you've yeah. had like a pretty sick run for the past know, 30 <laughs> 30 years 40 years however long you want to put it 50 years even and 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 i think maybe that's where like in israel like the the shock was not that people wanted to kill Jews; it's that people, like Succeeded. Hamas, so, somehow got good at killing Jews all of a sudden. <laughs> um, um, and then I guess for for sort of the religious crew, like yeah. yes, there's there is a narrative you can trace back, you know, three thousand right. years or whatever to this. But but for the folks who you know, J Judaism is a part of their yeah. identity, but their but their worldview is not shaped by what they hear at Passover. Like maybe that is the sort of like rending. That I think is a, is a new dynamic of like, oh, wait, no, they really still do just want to kill us in like the worst so, way possible. And to my point, they want to kill you whether or not you're religious. Yeah. So yeah. that's well, where I like that's where I think, OK, like Jews who assimilate feel that they're exempted. Like, you know, if they if they just want to kill religious Jews, OK, I can I can tell a story of like this being a war of religion. Um, but to killing secular Jews uh, at a rave. Um, a rave, but mind you, that that's taking place on a religious on a, on a Sabbath, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that that is particularly disconcerting for seculars because they've sort of distanced themselves from the backwaters of religious tribalism, and now all of a sudden, the tribalism is being reinscribed upon them. There's a a weird dichotomy that's being exposed now. And I don't fault people for not spotting it earlier because the truth is I was taken in by it myself, maybe not to the same extent as some others that I know, but it definitely was. And that is, I think a lot of like, I don't know, normie American secular Jews, when they think about the non-Israel in the Israel X conflict, right? What they think is the Israel-Palestinian conflict. And what they're concerned about is Palestinians and the lives of like individual Palestinians and the well-being of those people. And they were and they and we 
were and are right to be concerned about those things. And I think the 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 misapprehension that a lot of that a lot of Jews like not very invested in Israel in any theological sense um, or even like very strongly in a political sense, like the misapprehension that 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 Jews were under was like, OK, we broadly speaking, like on the left, um, we're all we're all kind of on the same team. Right. We care about Palestinians. And what was kind of revealed in the last two weeks was that the the Arab states, more more like politically speaking, but like large swaths of the Arab world, like just by very large majorities, are uh, concerned with the cause of Palestine, and that is a very different thing from the cause of Palestinians. What the cause of Palestine and 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 the the further complicating factor is that large swaths of the Arab world are concerned with Palestine, but not Palestinians. And like deeply um, not Palestinians. Like deeply not yeah. Palestinians. Now, what does it mean to be concerned with the cause of Palestine if it's been emptied of actual Palestinians? Like, what does that even mean? Well, the simplest answer, and you could just, I mean, just read state TV. Memory has translated it all. It's not, it's not very complicated. It's that Israel and its existence is like in a front and it's an insult to, um, you know, it's Jews rising above their station, exercising power within the Islamic sphere of influence. And it's just Jews not knowing their place. Um, we'd known our place. And, and you can see it like when everyone's like Jews lived side by side with Muslims in every other country for so many years. Like, again, it was very often extremely fraught and dangerous, but like, it is true. Um, you know, there were large Jewish populations in lots of Muslim countries, but we were subservient and we were second class citizens and like, okay, fine. Like we've been second class citizens everywhere on the whole. Um, it was better in the Islamic world than under Christendom, not by very much, but it, but it was definitely better. Um, but Israel's existence is like, and it's, and it's Jews exercising power in some ways over Muslims. That's like a, it's, it's an insult. It's an affront and it needs to be answered. And what that means is now the the West is broadly speaking like very much the opposite. The West does not care to like avenge the insult of Jews exercising power in the Middle East. Like it doesn't care about that cause at all and certainly does not care to like kill and punish Jews everywhere for that insult. But it is very deeply concerned, as it should be, about Palestinians and their welfare and their well-being. And what that disconnect does is it makes it very hard and sometimes shocking for Westerners, including Jews, to understand uh, the the behavior of people who like three weeks ago they considered their fellow travelers, right? And it makes it makes Egypt's decision to like not allow any humanitarian into Gaza at all like deeply perplexing. Don't they care about Palestinians? No, they don't care about Palestinians. They care about Palestine, which is why they hate Israel and which is why they were excited about you know October 7th. Um, but they don't care about Palestinians. And be, by the same token, Americans are sort of like, are sort uh, many Americans are sort of like, um, okay, uh, like your average normie Democrat, I think, was sort of like, okay, we're all team Palestinians, right? Right? We're all same team Palestinians. And then what they realized on October 7th is that some members of their caucus are like actually um, – not team Palestinians, they're team Palestine, and that's a very different team. Now, 
Team Palestinian, like if I care about the welfare of Palestinians and their well-being and their future flourishing, which I do very deeply, um, that can even extend to creating a state called Palestine that would live side by side peacefully with Israel. And I hope that's still attainable. It's it maybe not in the short term, but I, I, I hope and believe that one day that's still an attainable thing. Um, but but that proceeds from a very different place than insisting from the river to the sea Palestine shall be free we have to cleanse this land of Jews and avenge the insult that they've inflicted upon us by exercising power where they shouldn't so what I'm saying is like if you were caught off guard by people like celebrating some like pretty horrific atrocities perpetrated against Jewish peoples against Jewish people and you're confused about how that how that should make you feel about caring for Palestinian people it's only because there you made a category error. Yeah. And all I would add on to this is that like we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, and there was a, there was a response, at least in my circles of like Russia is the aggressor and, and Ukraine is the, the victim and um, solidarity with Ukrainians, but it was entirely based on, or largely based on, let's say, a projection of identification with the Ukrainians. But I don't think that it was paired with an anti-Russian sentiment Yeah, um, that's alongside right. it. It's and very I think similar. I think what's different here is that, um, in my view, the, the West isn't just pro-Palestinian because of a de decolonization narrative that they've overlaid onto the, the conflict in Israel. Um, but in addition to that, a residual and latent anti-Semitism specifically. So it, um, there are many conflicts one could get worked up in the world about, um, but I see a disproportionate um, focus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by people who don't just, in my view, identify with the Palestinians, but actually secretly harbor a resentment of the Jews. Yeah. And I think there's a sort of particular, like there was that, like the three-day window, um, you know, right after the attacks where this was, most clear in black and white because now you know you've had israel um you know bomb a lot of uh, corners of gaza at this point and lots of lots of people who have no business dying have died um uh, because of that sort of reaction and i think that kind of muddied the the waters which was of the of the sort of brief moment afterwards where the the context window really was this incredibly horrific thing which it which had it happened to basically any other group or city or population in the world, there would not have been basically anyone anywhere sort of like uh, c celebrating um, uh, uh, celebrating in the streets that, you know, something something, you know, wondrous and holy even was was accomplished. Um, I, I, sorry. I, I think it's also uh, I think what that what that also demonstrates is that Israelis and Palestinians are actually both exceptions to the narrative that we that that we kind of just outlined a second ago in the mm -hmm. sense that like in the aftermath of 10-7, like what's happened in, in the last two weeks has become like manifestly obvious to anybody who pays attention that like Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, like none of them care about actual Palestinians. And it's very sad and I wish it were otherwise, but they don't. Um, they do care very much about the cause of Palestine and they want Jews everywhere. Like meaning if Westerners are wondering like, why is anyone burning down a synagogue in Tunisia or in Berlin like over Israel bombing Gaza, like what does one have to do with the other? There aren't even Jews in that synagogue in Tunisia. It's just an old and beautiful, like Jews have been ethnically cleansed from Tunisia for a very long time already. Like 
Who cares about that synagogue? What does it even do? The answer is because, like, again, it makes total sense in the context of punishing Jews for their insult of inflicting Jewish power in a region where they shouldn't be inflicting it. But what Palestinians are actually a weird, um, like, anomaly because they care both for Palestinians, individual Palestinians, obviously, and for the cause of Palestine. And since these things are are like very often in tension. Like what should we prioritize? Like living standards in Gaza or like slicing open pregnant Jews? Like which one of those should we prioritize? And it changes depending on people's mood and depending on the exigencies of the moment. So because of that, it's frequently really difficult to make like any sense whatsoever of what the Palestinians think that they're doing in every given moment. And what that does is it makes them really unpredictable. And I think Israelis understand this much better than West and much more clearly because they have to than Westerners do. And like, needless to say, they're just much more concerned about it. So this reads to Westerners like a moral failing, like because Westerners like care about Palestinians, but not the Palestine cause when Israelis don't react the same as them. It reads like, what the heck? Like, you don't care about humanitarian aid for Palestinians? Like, how could you be such a monster? It must be, like, hatred or your brains are so addled by the Holocaust or it's racism or whatever. And, like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I can't look into people's hearts. But I think the more reasonable, like, parsimonious explanation is that Israelis recognize that, just like Palestinians do, that Palestinians and the cause of Palestine and, like, punishing Jews for being who and where they are those two causes are in tension with each other. And while advancing the former, like while advancing the cause and welfare of Palestinians can be at worst harmless and at best like actively really good and could even lead to statehood, right? Like see the partition plan all the way down through Oslo, Camp David, Camp David point two, Camp David three, electric boogaloo. Like, but the latter, the cause of Palestine means, and it's now demonstrated like just the rape murder and burning of jews and so israelis i i think what reads as a moral failing to westerners who don't have to care about this in any practical way is to israelis just like a real fear of unpredictability like they don't know at any given time which cause their neighbors are advancing so our take us out so I have two audiences that I care about primarily. Um, to a Jewish audience, I want to convey the message that no matter what group you find uh, sympathy and solidarity with, um, there's a pretty strong chance that that group doesn't see you the way you see yourself in that group. And therefore, um, when you feel lonely, as inevitably you will, and I think moments like this impose that loneliness on you, uh, the Jewish community, qua political community, will will be waiting with open arms to receive you as a, as a Jew, um, regardless of your religion. Um, and then to the non-Jewish community, as well as to the Jewish community, I would offer that um, category of oppressor and oppressed, category of left, left and right, um, category of privilege and unprivileged, whatever, whatever framework you have um, for thinking about the world, um, the Jews have preceded those frameworks and will outlast them. 
And that's hard and humbling and confusing. And because you're thinking through the lens of um, a certain framework that Jews as a people just scramble. Um, even when talking to Ari, I feel that um, maybe language failed me or um, in, in my attempt to sort of make it make a longitudinal argument for Judaism's endurance pre and post political Zionism um, in, in its historical expression. And what do you do as a result? Um, as a result of the fact that, in, in my view, Jews are sui generis. Um, I think what you do is um, welcome the diversity uh, of Jewish expression and not assume that any one particular articulation of what Judaism is um, stands for Judaism, whether that is the reduction of Judaism to a certain political view on the left or the right. Um, actually just be humble that um, there is this phenomenon that's got a lot of different sides to it. And in in now putting on my normative hat, I would say perhaps um, consider that our survival and our flourishing are somehow correlated to this complexity. And the reason why civilizations like Greece and Rome, Persia and Egypt have not endured is perhaps because uh, they have pursued a more simplistic self-definition. Uh all right, you want to briefly address those two audiences as well? Yeah. Um, I think for, 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 for a Jewish audience, I would say um, it's, it's worth considering the things that endure. And I think I, this is so prosaic, but I was trying to think of something better than this. I don't really have anything better. Like the prosaic argument that I would make is like when you sit at a Passover Seder, think about the things that that are Lindy. So the things that have made it through like 2000 years are very likely the things that are going to make it through the next 2000 years. Um like whatever weird stuff we're all inventing to add to it they're all super fun and i do it with my kids because they love it but like i don't know if the you know frog sock puppets are gonna endure uh that's such like an that's such like a niche jewish reference that's not that doesn't like have any symbolism outside of like the jewish passover community but like trust me that's like a thing frog sock puppets probably won't be around in two thousand years but the the yearning for for freedom the the hope for a rootedness in a home and the insistence that um that the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice and virtue those are the things that will probably be around so if you're trying to think like what what should i do like how should i order my very immediate short term um priorities you should probably orient them around the things that are likely to be around in 2000 years um my my communication to um my communication to a non-jewish audience would be to to just take as as a presumption even if it may not be true i'm just going to presume that you don't care about me and i don't take offense to that at all like it's totally fine there are lots of other priorities and you have lots of things going on. My plea to you 
would be, um, first of all, don't, let me back up. The West for a very long time has pinned its moral, theological, and ethical hopes on a, uh, on a, on a dead Jew from the Holy Land who, uh, could serve as a, as a suffering sacrifice on behalf of everybody else's sins. And the, the, I think Ross Douth, Ross Douth had said it. Like if you, if you, if you hate Christianity, you're really going to hate what comes after Christianity. So like what the, what the, the post-Christian elements of the, of America and the West have done is not like abandoned. their placing all of their hopes and dreams on, you know, a dead Jew who can serve as a suffering sacrifice in the Holy land. They've just transferred that, that yearning to other Jews uh, and particularly to the state of Israel. So don't, first of all, don't like outsource all of your, like, please don't outsource all of your moral hopes to us because I'm here to tell you that even the Jewish people for whom I have very high regard, like Zohar, like none of us are up to the task. Just read the Bible. Like we are not up to the task of being your savior. Um, and number one, but number two, uh, and and I think just as, if not more importantly, even as I say that, we do want to try. Like, we want to try to be of service to you and to the rest of the world. We want to do it in a realistic way, but we do. Like, we deeply, deeply, deeply do want to be of service to to all of you. And I think we have we have demonstrated enough over the course of the last two to three thousand years and again over the course of the last thousand years or 800 years since whatever and and however many centuries now since the, since the renaissance after that and again in the last 75 years i think we've demonstrated enough to warrant um um you pushing in some extra chips on us for at least a little bit while a little while longer so i would encourage you to I'd encourage you to engage with us because you have a lot of upside in doing that and, and very little downside. You've already, you've already pooped on us for, you know, a very long time. So the, the, the downside is very low. Um, so push some chips in on us. We end every episode with a song. I don't know. All right. You got one. You got one for us. Uh, oh, do, do I sing one or I suggest No, you, you just like pick a, pick a song. I'll put it on. Oh my God. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, dude. Um, okay. Um, so let's do like, let's do, uh, Ishai Ribo Seder HaAvodah. That's a pretty good one. Nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being a part of, I guess this was China talk. I don't know. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to chat. All right. Zohar. Thanks so much. Thank you. Nicht 
יצלח לכל הדת ישראל. Thank you. 